Hey guys, welcome to the Truly Atrocious Weekly Crime Roundup. In this new series, I'm just going to drop a short episode each week to touch on and update current cases that are headlining the news. This is, of course, in addition to the standard episodes that I've been doing, so right now, those are only being released about every two weeks. But you never know, a new one may come out at any time. Without further ado, let's get started with this week, which is September the 26th. This case comes to us from Georgia. So a woman named Deborah Collier, who was reported missing by her daughter and her husband, was found deceased on Sunday, September the 11th. She was found in Habersham County, Georgia, which is around 60 miles away from her home. She was found on her back and she was nude and appeared to have been burned around her abdomen area. Her right hand was also found gripping the base of a small tree that she was laying beside. They were able to locate Deborah by the rental car that she had been driving, which had a Sirius XM system installed in it and indicated the location of the car. A canine unit at the scene located a red tote bag and a partially burned blue tarp near where Deborah was found down an embankment in the woods. According to 11 Alive News out of Georgia, she was last seen on surveillance footage at a family dollar store. This family dollar store was located 13 miles from where her body was found. In the surveillance footage, we can see Deborah buying a rain poncho, a two-roll pack of paper towels, a refillable torch lighter, a tarp, and a reusable tote bag. Those items, the tarp and the reusable tote bag, were all found, again, at the scene beside of her body. Now, this occurred, this transaction occurred at 2.55 p.m. on September the 11th. Surveillance video shows that Deborah was alone during this time and that no one else was in the van with her. And it's not just surveillance video from the Family Dollar Store. The police checked other surveillance video around that area, and in all of those videos, they only seen Deborah in the van by herself. In addition to that, the cashier who checked Deborah out at the dollar store stated that nothing seemed amiss with Deborah. The transaction wasn't even memorable enough for her to remember the conversation, although she did state she remembered Deborah because she is very, she's very distinct. She has a distinct look about her. So 20 minutes later at 3.17 p.m., Debbie sends a payment of $2,385 through Venmo, along with a message to her daughter, Amanda Bearden. This message stated, They are not going to let me go. Love you. There is a key in the house in the blue flower pot by the door. Her daughter and her husband, Stephen Collier, filed a missing persons report that evening around 6 p.m. Again, this is still September the 10th. He stated that he had seen his wife the night before on the 9th. They slept in separate bedrooms due to his snoring, and when he left for work the next morning, her car was still in the driveway. Which, of course, we know that because we have the surveillance footage from the 10th that shows her at the Family Dollar Store. Regardless, her daughter told the police that Debbie did not have any history with mental health issues and that she did not have any suicidal tendencies. Investigators are treating the death as a homicide and not a suicide. This case is super intriguing so far. It's very new, very current, so who knows when we'll get another update. But I'm going to keep an eye on it and see where it goes. 
Our next case involves a man named Arthur LaVon Williamson, who is 55 years old, out of Pontiac, Michigan. He was charged with attacking a family in Chesterfield Township, Michigan on Friday, September 23rd, which resulted in the death of a 57-year-old father and radio news anchor Jim Matthews. Also injured during the attack was Jim's 10-year-old son and 5-year-old daughter and the 35-year-old mother of his children. The 10-year-old boy was found to be in critical condition as of Monday and had to undergo brain and ear surgery while the 5-year-old is considered to be in stable condition. The mother was also stabbed multiple times and is recovering in the hospital under observation. According to the Detroit News, authorities are still trying to establish a timeline. However, they suspect that Williamson arrived sometime in the middle of the night. Jim arrived home from his overnight radio shift at 6 a.m. The attack happened somewhere between 6 a.m. and noon when Nicole Geerton, which is Jim's girlfriend, and their five-year-old daughter um, were able to escape the home and flag down a bystander to call 911. Nicole and Jim's son was found tied up in a closet with severe injuries from blunt force trauma. Um, Jim himself was found dead from a hammer attack. Williamson was found in the basement of the home where he had attempted suicide by overdosing. He was taken to the hospital for treatment before being arrested, and he was arraigned on Monday, the 26th. It's unclear what Williamson's motive was, but Jim Matthews' brother, Joel Nicolai, stated that he believes that Nicole met Williamson at a support and recovery group, and he thinks he's seen Williamson around a few times in their neighborhood. He feared that Nicole may have been manipulated by Williamson, which prompted her to invite him into the home. Joel was also quoted as saying, Nicole is very naive. She wouldn't hurt a fly. She always means well. It's also important to note that Williamson has a criminal history that dates back to at least 30 years. Since 1993, Williamson has racked up convictions for assault, assault with intent to commit murder, kidnapping, illegal weapons possession, drugs, and violations for assaulting, resisting, obstructing a police officer, and this is all according to Michigan Department of Corrections. I also want to note that there is a GoFundMe set up by Nicole's sister to help pay for the health expenses for both of the children. I'm going to link that in the show notes below, so if anyone has the means to donate or if you want to check it out, share it on your social media, please feel free to do so. The next story that we're going to talk about comes from my home state of Kentucky. This one has been covered pretty extensively in the news, at least where I'm from. Um, But it's regarding Michael Carneal, who was a school shooter from 1997. If you're not familiar with the case, Michael Carneal killed three students and injured five in a school shooting on December 1st, 1997 at Heath High School in West Paducah, Kentucky. He killed 17-year-old Jessica James, 15-year-old Casey Steger, and 14-year-old Nicole Hadley all of whom were meeting at a before-school prayer circle that met in the lobby each morning. Last week, he met with a parole board to petition for release. During this meeting, he told the parole board that he would live with his parents and continue his mental health treatment if they agreed to release him. He admitted that he does still hear voices like the ones that told him to steal a neighbor's pistol and fire it into the crowded lobby of Heath High School in 97. However, Carneal did say that with therapy and medication, he has learned to control his behavior. 
According to CBS News, several victims who were wounded in the shooting, as well as relatives of those who were killed, spoke to the parole board last week as well. Most of them expressed their wishes for Carnell to spend the rest of his life in prison. Carnell told the panel that there are days where he believes that he deserves to die for what he did, but other days where he thinks that he could still do some good in the world. LaDedra Jones, who is the Kentucky Parole Board Chair, informed Carnell that his inmate file listed his mental health prognosis as poor and stated that he still experiences paranoid thoughts with violent visual imagery. Now, again, this is all what his inmate file lists, and she's just reading it back to him during the parole board meeting. Given all of this information, the parole board voted 7-0 to deny parole after a 30-minute deliberation. Carneal, who was 14 years old at the time of the shooting, watched the vote over Zoom from the Kentucky State Reformatory, which is located in LaGrange, Kentucky. At the end of the vote, Jones would go on to tell Carneal that due to the seriousness of his crime, he would serve out the rest of his life sentence in prison. Carneal said, yes, ma'am, and left the room very quickly. So the last update I have for today comes to us from Chicago, Illinois. All of these cases are terrible. They're truly atrocious, as one would say. But this one is particularly unnecessarily awful. So on September 19th, just last week, a 34-year-old woman pushed her 3-year-old nephew off of a Chicago pier Yesterday, on September 26th, he did succumb to his injuries, and sadly, he passed away. The woman, whose name is Victoria Moreno, took young Josiah Brown from his home where he was living with his grandmother and his aunt. According to CBS News in Chicago, Moreno allegedly stole keys to the family's truck and took Josiah without telling the other members of the family. When a family member realized that both Moreno and Josiah were gone, they became alarmed because Moreno, who was on medication for mental health issues, wasn't supposed to be driving while on that medication. Disturbingly enough, just the week before, Moreno had taken three other children who were living at the family home to the exact same pier without anyone's permission. Luckily, there had been an older child who was 11 years old that was with her at the time, and they were able to call another family member who came to help them. During this particular incident with Josiah, Moreno took Josiah to the pier and let him crawl under the chained barrier to approach the edge of the pier. According to witnesses, she looked over her shoulder to see if anyone was watching and proceeded to push him in. Witnesses heard the splash and saw Moreno looking down into the water, where they say Josiah was just staring up into the sky with his eyes open super wide. The witnesses stated that he was trying his best to stay afloat. According to WLS-TV, one witness left to retrieve a life preserver while another man jumped into the water to try and save the boy's life. While all of this was happening, Moreno didn't do anything. She watched. She didn't scream. She didn't call for help. She didn't worry about her young nephew. She just stood there like a bystander, and she watched. Unfortunately, the Good Samaritan who had jumped in after Josiah was unable to locate him, and Josiah was submerged in the water for 30 minutes before first responders were able to pull him out. 
All this time, Moreno just stays at the scene. One witness even took a photo of Moreno watching everything going on. When asked by the police if she knew the boy, she denied it and stated that she was just a witness. However, after many other witnesses came forward stating that she had been with Josiah and had pushed him in, Moreno relented and stated that she had been holding on to Josiah's shirt, but let him go because he was, quote, acting up. Other witnesses at the scene reported her to police as well before she was arrested, stating that she looked unwell and like she wasn't all there, mentally speaking. If you view Moreno's mugshot, you can clearly see there is something wrong with her. There's just a look in her eyes and in her expression that gives you an uneasy feeling in your gut. Prosecutors are claiming that Moreno's actions were premeditated, while Moreno's public defender stated that his client had severe mental health issues, which included insomnia, anxiety, and depression. Just to add another layer of sadness into the story, Josiah's father is currently being hospitalized because he is in need of a heart transplant. He states in his GoFundMe page that the only thing that's keeping him going is his wife and his son. Moreno was denied bail by the judge and ordered to have no contact with her family. Now there are two GoFundMes associated with this case, one of which belongs to Josiah's father for his heart transplant, and another was for Josiah to help pay for his hospital treatment. Unfortunately, since he has since passed away, it is likely to be used to pay for those needs. I'm going to link both of these below in the show notes, so please feel free to check them out and help if you can. That's a wrap for this week, folks. I'll be back next week for more weekly crime updates, but I'll also be keeping an eye on these stories as well. So if there are any developments in the cases that we've discussed so far, I'll be sure to discuss those in upcoming episodes. So just be sure to always check out the show notes or the description box if you're interested in a particular case or if you want to know if I'm discussing that particular case on a weekly update. As always, if you'd like to support this podcast, please follow our social media pages at Instagram, Truly Atrocious Pod, TikTok, Truly Atrocious, and Twitter, at Truly Atrocious. And be sure to subscribe and follow for the latest episode drop. If you feel so inclined, please leave a review. Anything and everything will help. See you all soon.